<laughs> it's my joy and privilege to introduce today's guest speaker. This is a person that New Philly has built relationship over the past few years. Uh, so 2012, he was a guest speaker for our leadership retreat. You guys remember, we got rocked at the retreat. So this is a man of God that is anointed by the Holy Spirit. He serves on a leadership team of IHOP International House of Prayer in Kansas City. And also he uh, is a director and founder of Seven Thunders, Seven Thunders Ministries, uh, which is a traveling ministry for him and his wife and with the teams. So without further ado, let me introduce our guest speaker, Papa Kirk Bennett. Let's welcome him up. He asked that I'll pray for him and I'll do that right now. Can we pray for him together? Can we stretch our hands? Father, we thank you for this man of deep intimacy and relationship with you. Father, we thank you that you brought him to this place to just drop powerful revelations of who you are to us. So, Lord, we welcome him with open arms and open hearts, open ears, God. We, Father, believe that it's not just Kirk speaking, but it's a Father God speaking through him. So, Lord, I pray for increased anointing upon him right now. And, Lord, we just speak forth, of Father, your comfort, your peace, your power, all of them to come at the same time. And, Lord, we just pray blessing over this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wow, you guys are packed in here. I love this. Wow, all these beautiful faces. <clears throat> I get the great privilege of preaching without an interpreter today, which means I could go twice as long, right? <clears throat> I'm excited about that. <clears throat> so good to be in Korea. The last time I was here was two years ago, and I got to be with uh, a lot of the leaders on a leadership retreat, and uh, that was a fun time. And uh, always is, I'm sure, in this house. I mean, the, the joy that you guys carry as a house is just so notable and so attractive. It's so attractive to people. Do you know God's joyful? And it's so attractive when his people pick up on the joy that is knowing God, the joy of loving God, the joy that God has for us. And when we pick up on that, just things come alive. And this is a place of life. I, I love that. Well, it's interesting. I was down in uh, Pusan last uh, Friday at their uh, prayer service. And um, they had me share there. And Mina and Caleb weren't there either. And so I don't know what it is. If I drive away the, the leaders or something, I don't know. But uh, I'm just trying to figure it out right now. But uh, no, I love those guys. And I, I'm so blessed that they actually trust me to come in um, uh, while they're away. And so that's a, that's a real blessing as well. We're going to look at John 17 here for a moment. If you have a Bible, turn there. If you don't, take one from the person next to you and say, this is mine. And uh, I want to encourage you to, to always have a Bible with you. A lot of people have them on, on, uh, on their uh, iPhones and, and uh, Androids and iPads. But I love a wireless Bible, don't you? I, I just love one of these wireless kind with pages in it. It's so cool. I think about the guys before there were copiers and printing presses who were writing the Bible, you know, word for word, letter for letter. That's how we have it. You know, the, the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls in the 1940s proved that they were accurately writing the Bible for 2000 years. I mean, that is awesome. I love that. I think this is the end time hymnal for the church. You know, we sing the songs out of here um, all the way till the day Jesus returns. And I love that about the Bible as well. We had a, a preacher in America. He used to stand and hold a Bible and he would say, I do not read this book. And everyone would go, oh, you can't do that. You're a pastor. You know, he'd say, no, this book reads me. It discerns the thoughts and the intents of my heart. This book finds me out. It's time that we stop reading the Bible and let the Bible read us. Huh? It's a book that is living and active. And if you let this search you out on a regular basis, you will find that the transformation process is not yours to manage. It's God's work in you when you let the word transform you. So I, I've learned to love the word over time. And, uh, and so uh, just real quickly, I'm uh, living in Kansas City, but not much. I've been on the road 20 days 
Uh, this month, I was on the road 20 days last month. I was on the road 20 days the month before that and the month before that. And um, I'm uh, learning how to be a Papa coach to houses of prayer and churches around the nation, um, not by steering them, but by encouraging them and building them up. And that's what I do. I'm burdened for the young generation. I say the generation, I really mean anybody that's alive right now, but the generation of, of young people, this nation in particular, you're seeing less than 5% enter university or college who are claiming the name of Christ. Do you know that's a crisis? Because most of the people who get saved, get saved between the ages of four and 14. And so now you've got an unreached people group entering college and university to begin to shape the society in the next 10 to 20 years. That people group will shape society and less than 5% of them are believers. If that does not evoke prayer in us, something's wrong. Our prayer is broke. If that doesn't evoke prayer in us, we got to say, God, this is not okay. This is not okay. We want the gospel going forward and we want the society shifted in the next generation. And so I just want to encourage you. This is your watch as a generation. This is not someone else's watch. This is not for the pastors and the leaders. This is your watch on the earth. And God wants to give you a sense of both duty and joy and gladness to watch before the Lord. And I don't mean just praying in a prayer meeting, but I mean keeping the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ burning, becoming a burning and shining lamp. I love what Jesus said about one of his contemporaries. who's six months older than Jesus. His name's John the Baptist. And he says about John the Baptist, he was a burning and shining lamp. And he's talking about a clear message with joy on it. That it was bright joy that was on John the Baptist. I think all the movies have John the Baptist wrong. You know, they got this cranky old guy. I mean, he was only 30 years old. They got this cranky old guy with a bony finger going, repent, the kingdom of God is in him. It's like, really? I mean, an angel showed up before John was born and said, there will be great rejoicing at his birth, you know. And then we read that John the Baptist leaps for joy in his mother's womb. Is that a cranky old grumpy guy? You know, John in his own testimony in John three twenty nine says, I stand, I hear, I rejoice at the sound of the bridegroom's voice. He was full of joy, not because of the circumstances around him, but what he saw was the heavenly hope of calling. And Jesus then later testifies of John. He's the greatest man ever born of a woman. I don't know about you, but that works on a resume. The greatest man ever born of a woman. And Jesus said it about John. Oh, my goodness. One point, John says, there's one coming even greater than than me. It's like, John, who do you think you are? (laughs) The greatest man ever born of a woman. He knew exactly who he was. But he said, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of the one coming. You know, the greatest man ever born of a woman testified of the one coming, Jesus Christ, and not himself. You know, and then, of course, Jesus says he was a burning and shining lamp. He's talking to Pharisees and he says, even you rejoiced in his light for a time. John could make Pharisees rejoice. Now, that rocks the house as far as I'm concerned. That's (laughs) like way beyond anything. He made Pharisees rejoice in the light that he was bringing in that hour. So I just believe that God wants to do that. He wants to awaken our passion and our joy. And the way that we get passion and joy for God and in God is by receiving the passion and joy that he has for us. That the way that you get love, we love God, 1 John 4, 19, because he first loved us. That love comes from God. That God is, in fact, love. And so that the way that we get joy is finding out that God is actually joyful over our lives. That the way that we get passion for God, 
Now, we have passion for many things, and most of us are driven by some kind of passion. What we feel or perceive energy around, whether it's a ministry thing or something in the world or something sinful, whatever we see and feel emotional energy around is where we apply more emotional energy. And that's why Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. That's how you check where your heart actually is, is you discern where are you placing your time, your energy, your thought processes? Where are you placing your resources? What are you putting everything into? That's where your heart is. He's helping us figure out where our hearts are so that we can then turn our hearts fully to him. Does that make sense? Okay, I got the right group. All right. So John 17 Now, I just encourage you. John 13 through 17 is called the Upper Room Discourse. It's one of the most powerful conversations that Jesus is having with the disciples and then with God in the scriptures. I mean, just take a year and and just eat John 13 through 17. That's where we get the understanding of of, uh, Jesus washing the disciples' feet and saying, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. It shall not be so with you. The greatest among you will be the least and the servant of all. That's where we get... Uh, uh, servanthood leadership from is John 13. Okay. The abiding. One of my favorite passages I've spent all year just meditating on, on, on one passage right now. John 15 verse nine. As the father loved me, I also loved you. Remain in my love. You know, it's just kind of the orientation of how to live life. You know, As the father loved me, spend your time thinking about how much the father loves the son of God. Now, he wasn't just firstborn. He was definitely favorite son, right? I mean, John has, uh, God has so favorited his son. He loves him deeply, passionately, irrevocably, immutably, comprehensively. He never stops loving the son, right? And Jesus says, that's the same love that I have for you. Now remain in it. Stay in that place. I'll give you a little formula for success. You ready? Here it is. If you're taking notes, scribble this down real quick. Right? I love God. Okay? That's part one. Number two, he loves me. Number three, therefore I am successful. That's it. We live In the love of God. He calls us the beloved. We should call one another the beloved of God. They, we are the highly, we're the ones that he came and was crushed and died for. We're the ones that this fragrance came off of him to the father in the crushing in his death. That the father smelled that fragrance and was satisfied. And said, therefore, they will be with me forever. My son loved to the highest degree so that you would be with him forever. That's extreme love. That's radical love. That's exceptional love. No one has ever and will ever love you like God loves you. In that kind of intensity of love. And so we live in that love. I'm loved of God. I love him. I win. Good day, bad day. You still love God? Yep. You still love me? Yep. Okay. You win. That's it. That really is life. That's why God makes the first commandment. Love me with your whole heart. Because he knows you can't do that without receiving his wholehearted love for you. There's no other way. You can't love God without receiving God's love for you. You, you aren't bent to love God. You're bent to turn your back from God. But if you love him with your whole heart, it's because you received wholehearted love from him. Therefore, you're successful. You win. You win. Beloved, we are winning already. With that simple confession in our heart, God loves me. I love standing in worship times and just going, Lord, you love me. Unbelievable. You still love me. Really? Sometimes, you know, we want to go, God, you don't know what I've done, you know? And he goes, actually, you don't know what I've done. (laughs) If you knew what I had done, 
and that it washed away all that you have done, you could actually enjoy the love that you have flowing from my throne right now. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Right? That's the joy of loving someone. Is the experience that God loves us first in that place. So I'm going to get into this Bible passage. Anyhow, John 17. It's a good passage. You should read it sometime. In John 17, John finishes the upper room discourse. This is the, or Jesus finishes the upper room discourse. This is the last words he says to the disciples before he goes to the cross. Okay. So these are kind of final statements before I go to the cross. Here it is, guys, John 13 through 17. Now, John 17, he starts talking to the Father in front of them. I don't know about you, but I I think it would be really cool to be in a prayer meeting that Jesus was leading. You know, I'm thinking Jesus is going to get his prayers answered. What do you think? I mean... He's got this pull, this sway, you know. He's going to get his prayers answered. I want to know Jesus' prayers. Because they're guaranteed to come to pass, right? Because God only is going to answer prayer that is according to his will. Is Jesus not going to pray according to the will of God? Jesus will only pray according to the will of God. And therefore, in the revelation of the prayers of Jesus, we find the revelation of the will of God. So many people go, I want to know God's will for my life. Really? Read Jesus' prayer. That's God's will for your life. You know, that the kingdom would come, that his will would be done on earth like it is in heaven. That's God's will for your life. You know, pray in agreement with Jesus' prayer. It's like cheating. You're guaranteed to get your prayers answered. All you got to do is forget your prayers and pray Jesus' prayers. And I promise you, they will transform your life. And so in Jesus' prayer, Jesus starts to pray. They're all silent, listening. What is he going to say? And the, and the whole passage just is amazing. But I want to look at just verse 24. Verse 24. And here he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. I want to look at that first phrase made up of two words. Father, or three words. Father, I desire. Father, I desire. What follows is the revelation of the heart of Christ. The longings of Christ. He's not going to command the Father. He's going to open his heart to the Father and share what he's yearning for. He's sharing his vision to the Father. Now, the Father already knows his vision. The Father and the Son are one. Why does Jesus do this? So that John could write it and you could hear it. That's why. Jesus is praying this so that you can hear it. So that you can be in the prayer meeting between the Father and the Son. David had this happen twice. Uh, Psalm chapter 2, Psalm 110. David hears the Father and the Son in interchange. Oh my goodness. What a privilege. How privileged was David? You have that same privilege. Because God did it in front of David, knowing that David would write it down, knowing that you would read it. You get the same privilege to enter in. See, it's the difference between formulating the words in the book into right paragraphs to be able to say and entering into encounters with God. This book is a book of encounters. You ever read this book? It's awesome. It's amazing. It's not written in our language. I mean, it's written in English. It's written in Korean, but it's not written in your language. It's written in God's language. You wouldn't write a book like this, right? I mean, the whole thing, none of it's in order. It hops around. It's here and there. Some of the prophecies talk about the first coming of Jesus, some the second coming of Jesus. Some have already happened. Some haven't. What in the world? You would never write the Bible like this, right? I would have I written the Bible something like, okay, line one, God is real. Line two, wake up. He really is real. 
Line three, he loves you. Line four, love him back. End of chapter one. Okay. I, I would have made it simpler, right? But it's not a book of thoughts to get smarter. It's a book of desire to get nearer. He wants us nearer to him. People ask me a lot. They say, okay, what's God's word to the church? What's he saying to the church right now? I say, really, it's two words. They go, what is it? I say, come here. That's it. He's saying, come here. And we're going, we don't, we don't have time for that. We're busy working for you. He's going, how's that working out for you right now? Just come here. Why? What about my ministry? It's not working. Come here. What about my reputation? You don't have one. <laughs> and if you get one, I'll ruin it. Come here. <laughs> Why? I want to be with you. That's it. God just wants to be with us. We kind of want to be with him. Kind of not. Most of us would rather work for him than be with him. Because our perception is he's probably angry or disappointed at us. Because that's what we kind of hear in the society. And, and, and here is God's angry and disappointed with you. And so we want to work to get him happy. But we don't know how much it takes to get him happy. So we keep working more. We believe in an unjust God who makes us work harder without knowing any time whether he's pleased with us or not. That's the unjust God we believe in. We, we have this orphan spirit on us. And God's just going, look, just come here. Why? What did I do wrong? <laughs> Actually, a lot. But not the one I'm talking about. Come here. <laughs> Why? Because I yearn for you. Oh, I'm not worthy of that. He's, he's saying, no, it's not about your worth. I'm worthy of having you. Quit trying to figure out if you're worthy or not. Jesus is worthy of having your entire life, your entire focus, your entire heart, your entire passion. He's worthy of it. If, he's, if we're going to sing this, you are worthy of it all. If we're going to sing that, we're going to live it. If he is worthy of it, then let's walk it out. He's worthy of our time. Okay? If the president of Korea called you today, and he said, it's a she, right? Right, okay. <laughs> and she said, what's your name? Doug. She said, hello, Doug. I'd like to have a meeting with you tomorrow at 10 a.m. Would that be okay with you? What would you say? guarantee you would say you you don't even have to like the policies of the president of korea they call and say i'd like to have a meeting with you you go absolutely yes we'll have the meeting yes 10 a.m yes i will be there you hang out the phone first thing you do is you call all your friends right <laughs> yeah you won't believe this president wants to get together with me yeah she probably wants to talk over some policies needs my advice you know then you spend the rest of the day trying to figure out what do I wear? How do I act? You know, is the secret service looking at me right now? What is going, you know, and you, and you live in this place where you would change everything about tomorrow to get that 10 a.m. appointment, right? The God of heaven and earth who breathed stars into existence would like to be with you tomorrow. And we're going, I don't know if I have time for that. Really? Is he really worthy of it all? Do we feel that kind of passion and honor for God himself? Yeah, but you're living in a culture of honor and you honor men and you honor women. But is your life oriented towards all honor goes to you, God? You are worthy of it all, even my presence, even if I don't feel like it, even if I don't have the time, even if I'm busy, you're worthy of this, God. So what happens in this prayer? Jesus begins to unlock his desires so they can see it. Father, I desire. 
Now this, I believe, is a shift. And I believe that this, this church and this New Philly movement is part of the shift of, the, of, of South Korea in that way. I believe that you're called to shift the paradigm of the nation. Many of you are from America or have lived in America. And you know about 1.5, version 1.5 Christian, right? Or version 1.5 Korean, right? How many of you have heard that term before? Okay, raise your hands real high because I, I, okay. In, in America, they talk about first generation Koreans, Born in America, or born in Korea, live in Korea. Second generation is Korean. Born of Korean descent, live in America. And then 1.5, born in Korea, grow up in America. Somewhere along the way, shift their citizenship, and they become a, a gap bridger generation. They love their parents. They love their tradition, but they're, they're, they're growing up in a different culture. And not only that, the kingdom is, is bringing, being revealed to them in a different way. And so they live in this gap, okay? And you're called into that gap to be in this nation, not to make South Korea American. Oh, please. <laughs> Ugh. I am so sorry for Burger King, really. I am seriously, I am so sorry. <laughs> so I probably, probably some Christian Burger King guy is going to write me a letter. But hey, um, no, I, I'm so sorry for the commercialism of America being what is called improving Korea. That, that's just so not true. It really isn't. It really is. It makes me sad when I was... There was very few vestiges of the West when I came here for the first time in 01. And now it's just like everything is this Western spirit of the age hedonism that has nothing to do with God and his kingdom and the transformation of this nation. But you're called to the transformation of this nation. And here's how it happens. To go beyond commandments, not forgetting commandments, but there's a place further in then commandments to the heart of God. It's called desire. Okay? It's called the desire of God. Not just what does he want me to do, but what does he like? I have one friend who got radically saved, was in the New Age movement, had Jesus appear to her, take her to the Father, reveal all these things. She had never been to a church before. She was blown away at the, at, at, at the reality of God and Jesus. And she would have ongoing encounters with Jesus. And one of them, she was driving down the road, and suddenly Jesus was sitting in the seat next to her. Now, that'll change the way you drive right there. For real. She's like driving down the road and went, Oh, hello. And she said, Jesus was so bubbly and happy. He said, ask me anything. Ask me anything you want. Now think about the amount of theological answers you could get clarified in that moment. You know, (laughs) the whole Arminianism versus Calvinism, you know, the whole deal. You could get that all fixed. You know, she said, my mind went blank. And I said, what's your favorite color? <laughs> she said, no kidding. She said, I, just, I was just so overwhelmed. I, what, what's, your, what's your favorite color? You know what Jesus said? A sunset. She said, no, no, wait. A sunset's many colors. Which part? He said, oh, no. A sunset's only one color. There's colors you've never seen before. She went, whoa. She felt empowered. She said, what's your favorite music? He said, the human voice. He said, I love the sound of people singing to me. And then he disappeared. See, do we ever ask God, God, what do you like? Not what do you want? What do you like? What do you enjoy? What's on your heart? Jesus said to the disciples one time, he said, I'm not going to call you servants anymore. I'm going to call you friends. Because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. 
And I want you to know what I'm doing. So I'm going to call you friends. I'm going to pull you closer than just serving God. See, when we start serving God, we live by principles. And so when the principles get real clear, it gets real clear in our understanding that we're serving God. But God would desire a closer place with us. Oh, no, that's for our pastor. That's for my leaders. That's not for me. No, no, no. That's for you. He didn't just die for leaders. The Reformation was over the priesthood or the encounter ability of all the believers. That everyone has access to God. His desire is for you to be closer. Not just busier. In fact, less busy is what he would say. Just stop all the hubbub and just be with me because I'd like to share from my heart. This is what Jesus starts to do in this prayer. He starts to open up his heart. Do you remember in, in, uh, in Genesis where Jacob wrestled with an angel? You remember that story? I mean, we learn it in Sunday school and everything. I mean, it's just a cool story. I, I, have you ever gone through that thing? Do you know who started the fight? The angel. It says an angel appeared and wrestled with Jacob. <laughs> I always thought it was Jacob too. I always thought Jacob was trying to get something. No, the angel appears and he's in a mode. You know? He's going, come on. And Jacob goes, uh-uh. He goes, yeah. And he tackles him. And they wrestle all night. Right? They're wrestling. And Jacob won't let go. And so the angel, who we find out later is actually God. He says, I've seen the face of God and I lived. He called it Peniel, which means the face of God. I've seen the face of God and survived. Is how he walks away from the thing. But the angel realizes, seeing that he's not prevailing, touches Jacob's hip, and it goes out of joint. Touches his hip. I would quit at that point. I go, okay, you win. How? You know. Okay, okay, okay. Uncle, you win. But Jacob, he goes, Jacob, let go of me. And Jacob goes, no. Now, this is God. You can't say no to God. God's commandment. Let go of me. No. <laughs> How did he get away with that? He was never punished. God goes, okay, that's real funny, Jacob. Now let go. No. <laughs> I'm not letting go until you bless me. Now, here's the interesting thing. In the Old Testament, if you read all the blessings, like uh, Genesis 49, all the blessings are written in prose format, meaning they're written like a poem. And the reason is they were always sung. You know what Jacob's saying? I'm not letting go until you sing over my life. I refuse to let go until I hear a song from you. I can't do this on my own. I've got to know that I'm living in the song of the Lord. I won't let go. <clears throat> now, looking at the story, knowing that it's God, we realize God really didn't want Jacob to let go, did he? He was saying let go, but he meant hold on. Don't quit. Don't give up, Jacob. And he's saying let go. See, there's a place beyond commandment called desire. And Jacob's hearing the commandment, but he's going, I want your desire. And so many times we're just so tuned to commandment. If God says it, we've got to do it. Right? We've got to walk in the commandments of God. And God's saying, why don't you ask me why? Why don't you talk with me? Well, I can't. I'm busy working for you. Yeah, but that's not working. Why don't you talk? with me why don't we have a conversation why don't you see if you can touch my heart oh no i'm not worthy of that no i'm worthy of that 
for you to touch my I'm worthy of having everyone real, real close. I desire you. He's inviting us, beloved, closer than we ever thought. You are made to be closer than you ever thought. In fact, the amount of God that you are satisfied with, that's how much you'll have. So how much of God are you satisfied with? Do you want just a little bit of God? Or do you want all of it? Because the the amount that you have in life is how much of God. The amount that you desire of God. The least amount that you're satisfied with, that's how much you'll have. You're as close to God as you choose to be. So we thought, no, God doesn't want to be close to me. Yes, he does. You don't want to be close to him. God says to us, deny yourself. Take up your cross, which wasn't jewelry. He wasn't talking about tattoo. He's talking about a cross. Die and follow me. And we're telling people, come to our church, take up your iPad and follow Jesus. I have an iPad. I get it. Okay. He's calling us to wholehearted abandonment to him. We're negotiating for the least amount that we can have with God and, and still be called radical. We're going, what's the least amount I can do, God, and still be called radical? And God's going, radical is not about about the least amount of anything. How much more can we have of your love, God? How much more could we have? I promise you, you set your heart, you start asking that way, you'll have way more than you ever thought. You'll have way more than you thought was possible. There's something beyond commandment. And it's what you have, if you go after this, what you have to offer this nation. This nation does not need another business person. I don't know if you've looked around. This nation does not need another car dealer and another clock shop. This nation does not need an IT person. This nation needs radical lovers of Jesus that whatever they're doing in society, they say, this is not who I am. Who I am is a lover of Jesus, not to prove to anyone, but to draw people to something far more fascinating than what this nation has to offer right now. Are you hearing me? God's going, just come here. Now it's not as bad as we think. Really, when we think, come here, we're thinking, I'm going to be punished. I know there's a problem. I know I did something wrong. He's going, no, it's really not that bad. I want relationship. We're after prophecy. Why? We want to get smarter. So we can hedge our bets and figure out what to invest in and figure out how to find our best way through to make the most amount of money. We want to get smaller, smarter. That's why you don't get prophecy. God doesn't give prophecy to be smarter. He gives it to be nearer. That's why he gives you all half prophecies. <laughs> you ever gotten a prophecy? It so does not answer any questions. Does it? <laughs> it's like, that's it. You just go right to the back of the line. Okay, can I have another one now? Right? Because we want to do this on our own. And God loves us too much to let us do it on our own. He's gone, no, you need me forever. You know, we think we get to a point in our life where we're so emotionally strong, so physically strong, so financially well off that we won't need anyone. And Jesus is over there going, hello, you need me forever, forever. I refuse to let you do this on your own. I love you too much. Let's do this together. Let's do it together. Let's be together. Let's, let's, let's talk. Let me hear your desires. Let me tell you my secrets. 
I've had Jesus tell me many, many things. He goes, don't tell anybody. It's like, ah, I could so prove that I'm spiritual. Really? No. Don't tell anybody. It's between me and you. Well, why? Why would you tell me information that I wasn't about another person that I wasn't supposed to tell them? Because I'm your friend and friends do that. Doesn't mean I want you to go tell everybody and make a website and a, a ministry out of it. Just be with me. This thing's about to get really easy. If we do the commandments and walk beyond it to desire. I get up in the morning and I, I pursue the, the, the God of desire. I literally, I get out of bed. I put my hands up. First word out of my mouth is thank you. Thank you. I'm still alive. You didn't kill me last night. Thank you. <laughs> this is awesome. I'm glad to be alive. Yeah. I found out two days ago I have an 82% blockage in one of my arteries. Thank you. Thank you. I could be standing in heaven right now. Thank you that I still get to be on the earth. I want great grandbabies, you know. So I, I got seven grandchildren right now. I want greats. So everybody's going, oh, no, he's got a blockage. Like, Don't worry. They're going to clear it out tomorrow. So thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be alive. I mean, I would rather be with God eternally, but I'm glad to be alive right now. I'm grateful. Thank you, Jesus. And then it's saying, what should I do? Instead of saying that, I say, what are you doing? Can I go? Because whatever you're doing, I'd like to go. Because I just think it's more fun than what I'm doing. I probably, I mean, God's plans are always just so high. I just, Lord, would you please interrupt my regularly scheduled programs (laughs) and bring me the special news bulletins? You know, what are you doing? And how can I align my heart with it, not just my head? I don't need to lead it. I just want to go along. I think that's the way Jesus operated with the disciples, right? He said, I only do what I see the Father doing, right? So he had to get up every day and go, Father, what are you doing? And he'd do that. And they did some amazing things. You know that? It was totally unpredictable. You can't read and you can't figure out Jesus with a Christian leadership manual. Do you know that? He breaks every single rule in those things. All the time, you know? Who hires the guy that's going to doubt him, the guy that's going to deny him, the guy that's going to betray him and put them on the leadership team? Find me the Christian leadership manual that says do that. Jesus did it. And he's hiring them for your team too. (laughs) Right? Because it reveals the heart, doesn't it? It's like, Jesus, you just hired Judas Iscariot. Have you not read the Bible? Jesus goes, yeah, let's give him the money back. We'll make him the treasurer. (laughs) What? Yeah, he'll steal all the money throughout my ministry. That'll be cool. (laughs) Well, that's not good Christian character. See, Jesus wasn't trying to develop principles in them. He was developing relationship. It was beyond principles. Principles are important. I mean, we drive down the road and there are principles like lines that you don't cross. You know, well, not in Korea, but in other nations. (laughs) I realized going through Cairo, Egypt a couple years ago that those lines are artwork to Egyptians. That's all they are. When they see a one-way sign, they go, amen, (laughs) one way. (laughs) That's all it means to them. (laughs) And and their music is the horn. (laughs) You know, just bam, 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 bam. They got to, every two to three seconds, they got to beat their horns. No kidding. You go to Egypt. I counted one time. It took eight seconds for for, uh, the longest gap between horn beats I ever heard was eight seconds. And that was at three in the morning. For real, in downtown Cairo, it went eight seconds. I went, yes, beep. (laughs) Oh, well. Anyhow. So there's this place that God's pulling us to. He's going, come, be with me. I want to talk with you. I want to interchange with you. I'm yearning for things that you aren't even thinking about. Are you interested? Will you come and be with me?
the norm is to be with God on a regular basis, focus time every day, and then as you're going about your day, constant dialogue with God. One of my favorite books in English is a book, uh, besides the Bible, written by uh, a guy named Brother Lawrence, and it's called Practicing the Presence of God. I read that book 10 times this year. It takes about an hour to read. I just, I read it over and over. I want that. I want to be dialoguing. I want Jesus standing right here, right now. See, that's how Jesus operated with the Father. He'd get up, and the disciples were like, they had no clue any given day. What are we doing today? You know, he'd go, I think we'll wreck a funeral. <laughs> They're all going, ooh, I don't know, Jesus. Really? It's like a, funerals are special, you know? He goes, no, 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 it'll be fun. He goes, come with me, we'll go down. There'll be a procession. See, there's this young man, and he's dead. He's actually really dead. And, 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 and his mom is a widow now, and she's got no one taken to care of. So we'll go down right in the middle of the funeral, and we'll raise him from the dead. It'll be so cool. It'll ruin the whole thing. You see, we have this idea of Jesus stuck in this grumpy body with his finger. Oh, you have little faith, you know. <laughs> Jesus was a man of joy. He liked his job on the earth. He enjoyed what he does. One of my favorite passages, write it down. Psalm 115, verse 3. It says, God sits in the heavens and does what he pleases. I love that. God's up there going, watch this, watch this. Gabriel, come here. Go, go scare that little virgin right down there right now. <laughs> go freak her out. It'll be fun. You know? She's going to have the son of God inside of her. You think God didn't enjoy that? He does what he's full of pleasure to do. And that's what he invites us in, into his pleasure. See, to not just do it, but to enjoy it. To like it. To like being with God. See, if we don't like being with God, if we don't live in his pleasure, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get all of our God duties done so we can go have fun. And we think, well, God doesn't want me to have fun, so I'm going I'm to do all my God duties because I want to be obedient so that I can have fun. Lord, give me a word so I know what to do. He's going, no, you'll leave. I want to be with you. And he gives us a word. Go to the east. <gasps> We're going to the east. Honey, pack the truck. We're moving to the east. We're going to fly to America. We're going to fly all the way to the east coast. We're going to set up there because God said go to the east. And we get to the east and the east coast of America. And God's going, what are you doing here? Well, you said go to the east. I meant the east side of the room you were standing in. <laughs> Couldn't we talk about these things? Why do you think everything's about obedience? Could we just have a conversation? We're going, okay, you got two minutes. <laughs> He's going, really? I was thinking of talking at the five-minute mark. Oh, okay, all right, we'll do it. You have God talk to you conversationally. It'll change everything. It'll change everything. You'll find a God who likes you. You'll start scrapping your schedule going, how do we get more time together, Lord? I'm just tired of all this stuff, this run around, much ado about nothing. It's not getting anywhere. Lord, could I just be with you today? Jesus has that design for you. You have divine appointments all over your life. And all that you have to do is say yes and make them. And they're not all for commandment. They're because of desire. Now, here's what Jesus says in, in John 17. If you can go back there. Verse 24. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me, look at this, may be with me where I am. I mean, Jesus lived 30 years on the earth. He lived before that in eternity forever. Right? He gets to the climactic point just before the crucifixion crucifixion he goes could they be with me where i am what's he want church planning no presence he 
He's gone, I just want to be with them, Father. Let them be with me where I am. Now, they're all sitting around. They're all with him where he is. What are they talking about? No, let my spirit and their spirit be together, joined. Whether I'm visibly in their midst or not, let them be with me where I am. Let them be in the engagement, the interface with me constantly where I am. You gave them to me, Father. Do you know that you're a gift from the Father to his Son? Do you have any idea of your value? That the father was trying to think of a birthday gift for his son and he finally figured out it's you. That he would give you to his son. That was his idea of a good birthday gift. You know, that's like human trafficking, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Except it's voluntary. So it's not trafficking, right? It's love. He goes, I think I'll give these to my son. Here you go, son. And the father's going, oh, father, can I keep them? Please, can I keep them? Can I hold them? You know, like when you get a new little puppy and you're, oh, can I keep it? You know, can I keep them? That's what Jesus says about you. See, I think Jesus is still praying this prayer. I think he's still praying because I don't think it's fully calm because it says that they may be one as we are one. I don't think that's happened yet. I think he's still praying the same prayer. You know what Jesus is doing at the right hand of the father right now? He's sitting next to the father. and He's going, Father, I desire, I desire, I desire, Father. I want to be with them, Father. I desire, I'm yearning for them. I'm yearning for them. Look what it says. They may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. And they could behold my glory. Do you know that you're supposed to see the glory of God? That's not just when you die. We have this idea that everything starts when we die. Life, I don't know if you know this, life starts when you're born. Not when you die. Okay? Eternal life starts when you're born again. Abundant life begins when you're born again. That's when it begins. And it's not abundance of this age. There's a greater abundance than the abundance of this age. This abundance will come and it'll go. You'll have times of plenty and times of want. We're not supposed to have everything all the time in this age. That's called greed. We're supposed to give it all away. And by the time you've died, you have. (laughs) Whether you know it or not, you don't take any of it with you. You leave it all here. So you're going to give it all away. So every day is just about figuring out where you're going to give it. Not how do you get it? Because at the end, you don't have any of this. And quite frankly, I don't want any of this. Okay? But there's... Abundant life, it begins when we're born again. The abundance of the revelation of knowing Jesus Christ. It's the abundance of relationship with him. It's the abundance of the supernatural God walking beside me constantly. How cool is that? We marvel at Marvel comic books. What about the marvelous God? Who's amazing who heals people, delivers people, sets people free like us. I mean, would you have picked us? I would have picked someone a little bit better than us. I mean, really, Lord? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. I'll show myself to be the marvelous God with weak, hurting, and broken people and we'll walk together through life. That's abundant life. That's abundant life. See, if it's just about earthly possessions, then 80% of the earth, of believers in the earth, have no shot at abundant life. They have no shot. But if it's about the glory of Christ and the age to come, and if the poor really are blessed and they really get the kingdom, and everyone has an opportunity to enter into abundant life, not just the wealthy, but everyone. There is an abundance that goes so far beyond anything that you could earn at your little job. It's called eternity. 
It's eternity with him that begins now in the desires of God. So I want to encourage you, practically, begin to take up some prayers. Not that this wasn't practical. I promise you this is practical. But begin to take handle to this thing. Begin to hold it. Begin the conversations with God. Stop what you're doing. And instead of saying, oh, I can't hear from God. I've got to go to someone who can. Start saying, God, you love me. So you must want to talk to me. Can I ask you a few questions? And then ask about what you want. And then from time to time, you'll hear him ask you questions. Now, whenever God asks you a question, know this. He's not looking for information. <laughs> you are. <laughs> you just don't know it yet. You know, when God says, Adam, where are you in the garden? Do you think God knew where Adam was? <laughs> Adam didn't know where Adam was, right? He's giving Adam questions. Cain kills Abel, right? And God gives Cain five questions. Because he's the wonderful counselor. He's trying to facilitate the healing volitionally of Cain's heart. So God will ask you questions. Ask him to ask you questions. Lord, ask me a question. Because you know when he does, he's trying to unlock a part of you that's been locked and separated from him. Okay? Does this make sense? So start with asking questions. Second, pretend when you're reading this book that you don't believe it. We're the people of faith. (laughs) No, you're not kidding anyone by pretending you do. You're not kidding God. He knows you don't believe it. I spend hours convincing God that I don't believe Bible verses. Because I want to believe them, not because I want to reject them. I want to enter in. I read a Bible verse at times and I, I don't believe that. God's not standing there going, oh, you don't. I thought you believed it the whole time. God's going, finally. <laughs> finally, you realize you don't believe it. Yeah, I don't believe that, Lord. But I want to help me awaken my spirit. Stay on it instead of skipping over it, pretending you believe it. Stay on it. Go over and over and over and over and over and over and over it. Chew it instead of swallowing it. We swallow things. That's milk. That'll sustain you. But milk is for the, for the child in spirit. But the mature of age chew the word because they see it as solid food. Take, the, take a passage like what I shared today and spend the next 25 hours of focused time that you can find over the next two weeks over and over that passage. Go, God, awaken my spirit. You have desire. I have no connect between my heart and my head right now over this. I want my heart and my head connected. Awaken me. Give me desire like you have. You do that over and over again. Pretty soon you're not doing other things and your spirit comes awake. Because it's not caught up in the things of the world. Okay? Colossians chapter 3. Okay. So, take the word. Convince God you don't believe it until you do. Until he unlocks it to you. Okay? And if, if, if screaming and crying doesn't, I mean, screaming and shouting to God wasn't work, doesn't work, try tears. <laughs> Seriously. I don't mean in the meeting where everybody sees and you're poking your eyes because you want to look like you're crying. I, I, I mean, groaning. I had the Lord come to me in, uh, it was uh, year 1997. I was in a prayer meeting. And man's just reading through, I think it was Malachi chapter 3, and he's reading through, and all of a sudden the glory of the Lord began to enter the room. There's two dimensions that I've recognized to the glory of God. One is bright light, and the other is heaviness. And that entered the room. That heavy weight. And it just changes the atmosphere of a prayer meeting or a gathering when the glory of God is weight begins to enter the room. It's a gentle, kind fear of the Lord. It's not there to kill you. It's there to kill your flesh. And, and the idea that you can stand in his presence. And, and I, I, could, I was sitting in the back of the room. I could watch the whole room. Just everybody starts going like this. I don't even know the content of the prayer. It was just the presence and the weight of God entered the room. 
I was down on my face and the spirit of the Lord came and got in my face. It was almost like a little bright light, like a Disney movie, Tinkerbell or something. This bright light came and got right in my face. And the Lord said this, you do not tremble at my word. Now, when God says something like that, there's not a whole lot of room for arguing with it. You don't go, yes, I do. You know? <laughs> I mean, you know that he's right. You know? But you also know that it's possible now to tremble at the word of God. And you know that you don't. You know that it's possible. This is what's going through me just instantaneously that I want to suddenly tremble at his word. And I wasn't thinking about that and I had seldom ever thought about that. Suddenly, God brings up the topic and suddenly I go, I want to tremble at your word. I don't tremble at your word. And I begin to weep. Long story short, I wept for the rest of the prayer reading for about an hour. Later on that day, I was sitting with some pastors having lunch. They turned to me and they said, how's your day going? And I just began to weep again. I said, God says I don't tremble at his word. And no amount of back padding will help at that point. You know? Oh, yes, you do. You're good. No, don't. Just don't do that. You know? No, you, you're not going to talk me out of the word of the Lord right now. I go home later that day. My wife goes, how was your day? Boom, it hits again. I start weeping. I wept for 13 days. Two, four, six hours a day going, God, let me tremble at your word. Let me see your face. I want my spirit awake. Desire. Interchange with God, not just over your desires, but his desires is what awakens your spirit. Your spirit is made to be awake. Just a verse to write down to camp in this, besides John 17, 24, and the other verses I mentioned is 2 Corinthians three eighteen. We all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of God are being transformed from glory to glory. The transformation of your spirit happens by beholding God, beholding his glory. If you can't see it, plead until you can, because Paul says we all, if you look up all in the Greek, here's what it means. All. He's saying we all are being transformed the same way. Beholding God is how you're transformed. So we're working on our own transformation process. And Jesus is hijacking that right now. And God, I've got a different one. It's called mine. Behold me and be transformed. Amen. Let's stand. Let's have the ministry team come up. The worship team.